Well, hello. Here at River Tree, we have spent the past several weeks on a series titled Worship Through Theology, and today concludes that series. But I wanted to take just a quick moment and very briefly recap what we studied last week. Last Sunday, we, we discussed a very unpopular word, sin. And we essentially defined sin as the refusal to acknowledge God as God at the very foundation, the thing behind the thing, the very root of sin is essentially refusing to acknowledge God as God. And last week, we discussed the various ways in which we see this play out. But what it gets down to at its core is that humanity became disconnected with God because of sin. There was a relationship with God, but then it was broken. There's an author, Fleming Rudelich, who has noted that the predicament of humanity is so serious, so grave, so irremediable from within that nothing short of divine intervention can rectify it. So y'all, the best self-help program out there can't help us with this. John Stott has noted, for the essence of sin is humans substituting themselves for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for humanity. Humans claim prerogatives that belong to God alone, and God accepts penalties that belong to humanity alone. You see, we assert ourselves against God. We put ourselves where only God deserves to be. But yet God sacrifices himself for us and puts himself where we deserve to be. And sin, death, deserve judgment, that is not the end of our story. We have been offered salvation, quite literally our saving grace. And this may or may not be something that you're familiar with. But just to be clear, let's start with what salvation is not. Salvation is not baptism. Baptism is a holy sacrament, meaning it is a wonderful, beautiful, holy, and biblical act that we get to participate in. But the act of baptism alone does not bring salvation. This is what we talked about a few weeks ago. Do you remember that? Salvation is also not magical words that we say in a prayer. There has been a common thought in the evangelical world that to go to heaven, a specific prayer must be prayed in order to be saved. Think about this. What could go wrong? Lots. This thought suggests that it's up to us, humans, who are known for making mistakes. When I was growing up, this was a very popular idea within the evangelical culture at the time. And I remember a little friend of mine asked me how often I prayed the prayer of salvation or the sinner's prayer. And my response to her was, what do you mean? We're supposed to pray it more than once? And she was like, absolutely. I mean, how do you know if it took the first time? What if you said it wrong? And then for me, it was like cue spiritual anxiety because this ideology puts so much responsibility on to us. Which brings me to the next point. Salvation is also not good works. Have you heard that phrase before? Good works? It means that there is something that I must do to be accepted by God. And if I do enough of the right things, then I am in good enough standing with God. But here's the question. How much? What deed is good enough? Because the bottom line is, I'm not good enough. None of us could ever be good 
enough. For most of us, we can identify a time in our lives where we essentially felt on the outs with God. This might have looked like we just didn't have a desire or an inclination towards God. Maybe it was a lack of interest. Maybe it was intentionally running from God. Or maybe, as a good friend of mine puts it, you might have felt as though God were simply a relative in the room. Someone that everyone else knew. You never questioned his existence, but neither did you have a personal experience with him. And perhaps right now you might feel like I just called you out. And and if I did call you out what you are personally experiencing right now, I promise you that was not intentional. But if I am identifying what you are experiencing, we should talk. I would really love to have a conversation with you. Others of you, you might resonate with an example that I just mentioned, but then you might be able to follow it up with an and then. So what I mean by that is like, like, yes, I felt so much shame and it just built and compounded throughout my life. And then this is how God stepped into my story. Or maybe you were adamantly opposed to God and all that God is about. And then a longing or a strange desire that you just can't explain. Something in you began to stir and incline your hearts towards God. Or maybe you never really even questioned the reality of God. You accepted that there is a God. But maybe he did feel more like that distant relative in the room. And then something shifted and you began to realize that God was there for you. And your relationship with him became real and personal. There's a $50 theological word for this. It's called regeneration. And it's a step in what we call salvation. It's where God gets our attention. Here's what the Bible says. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. The Lord your God will change your heart and the hearts of all your descendants so that you will love him with all your heart and soul and so that you may live. Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 26 through 27. I will plant a new heart and a new spirit inside of you. I will take out your stubborn stony heart and I will give you a willing, tender heart of flesh. And... I will put my spirit inside of you and I will inspire you to live in my statutes and follow my laws. But how does this happen? What even makes it possible for us to get here? Well, I'm so glad you asked because there's also a theological word for this. But here's what I really want you to understand. That God has already, God has past tense already completed the purpose of our salvation. And that's what we celebrated at Easter. This is when Jesus went to the cross and took our sins upon himself. Jesus knowingly suffered and died and rose again on the third day. And when we claim this is our own, in faith it becomes ours. Because you see, God owed us nothing. And we are clearly very undeserving. But nonetheless, God stepped into the story through through profound mercy and grace. Jesus entered the story and Jesus enters our story. Jesus on a rescue mission to redeem and restore came from heaven and solved the greatest crisis of our planet, our disconnect from God. The best picture of this is in the Old Testament where all the great pictures are, right? So in the Old Testament, we see lambs being offered as sacrifices in the temple. Do you remember that? 
At Christmas time, I spoke about the shepherds and how they received the first official birth announcement. And I speculated that it might have been possible that because of their location, that these shepherds were tending to the temple sheep. Well, here is what those sheep are used for. It was a typical practice that a lamb would be purchased for the intention as a sacrifice at the temple. And when a lamb was brought into sacrifice for a sin or for a person's sins, the priest would place it on the altar. And when you brought this lamb to the priest and the priest placed it on the altar, you would reach out your hand and you would place it on the head of the, the lamb and then begin to confess your sinfulness. And as you confessed, and I'm sorry, this is very graphic, the priest would take a knife and let's just say begin the butchering process of the lamb. And as the blood would drain out, your hand of your sinfulness being transferred on to the innocent lamb. So do you see? Because at the cross, the perfect and permanent sacrifice for our sin was made. In Romans chapter 8, verse 30, And having chosen them, he called them to come. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. For it is by God's grace you have been saved. You received it through faith. It was not our plan or our effort. It is God's gift, pure and simple. You didn't earn it. Not one of us did. So don't go around bragging like you must have done something amazing. It's a gift. There is nothing we can do to earn it, and absolutely none of us deserve it. But God, in his loving compassion and infinite mercy, stopped at nothing to make a way for us. The big theological word that I was talking about for this is called justification. And it's just what it sounds like. It's like a legal declaration that our sins have been paid for by another. And therefore, we are not in danger of bearing the punishment that our sins deserve. When we are justified, we are made right with God. It is God-given faith that activates that deposit or transaction. So we have a desire towards God. And we might even have some decent knowledge of God. But what's next? Faith. Faith is not simply a religious feeling or becoming more Christian. Faith is the hand that lays hold of Jesus. It's the belief that Christ has accomplished it all, just like he said he would, and simply resting our hope on that. It's like reaching out and grabbing the arm of the rescuer. This is an analogy that I love. It is not original to me, but here's how it goes. Essentially, when you are in a precarious situation, and someone reaches out to rescue you, they would grab you by the forearm, not your hand. If they were to grab you by the hand, it's too easy to slip away, but they would grab you by the forearm where you could not slip out of their grasp. So think about it like this. You're walking uh, and there's a cliff and you slip down and, and somebody reaches down to help you. They would grab you by the forearm. Or perhaps you're whitewater rafting and you're hanging on to the edge of the boat, the raft, and the guy, the person that you're with, would reach down and grab you by the forearm. And they would do this just so you could simply not slip out of their grasp. The rescuer already has you. It's your choice to reach back and to hold on to him as he already has you. And here's the thing. 
Jesus doesn't need our acceptance. We talk about accepting Jesus, but here's the thing. Jesus is God, and God's doing just fine because God is God. However, the act of reaching back is important for us to make that distinction and for which we get to enjoy and participate in a relationship. Here's what it comes down to. We have been justified. We are being sanctified. And one day we will be glorified. What I mean by that is we have been justified. Jesus came and took a penalty that was rightfully ours. We are being sanctified. We are in a state of growth and learning more and more who God is and what we have been called to. And with faith, following through on the calling that has been placed on our lives. And one day, we will be glorified. This is when God will once and for all set every wrong right. 2 Corinthians Chapter 3, verse 18. Now all of us with our faces unveiled reflect the glory of the Lord as if we are mirrors. And so we are being transformed, metamorphosed into the same image from one radiance of glory to another, just as the Spirit of the Lord accomplishes it. I want to assure you of something. All of our doubts do not have to be resolved to be a follower of Christ. But the fact is that our need for forgiveness and a fresh start and a new nature, really, can only be met by a power and a love so great that we don't possess. Titus chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. But then something happened. God, our Savior, and his overpowering love and kindness for humankind entered our world. He came to save us. It's not that we earned it by doing good works or righteous deeds. He came because he's merciful. He brought us out of our old ways of living and into a new being through the washing of regeneration. He made us completely new through the Holy Spirit who is poured out in abundance through Jesus, the anointed, our Savior. And all of this happened so that through his grace, we would be accepted into God's covenant family and appointed to be his heirs, full of the hope that comes from knowing you have eternal life. You see, we need a radical love which forgives and forbears. We need a power outside of ourselves to deliver us and rescue us. And who has such a power to take what is radically wrong, tip it upside down and make it right, to take what is rotten and make it fresh, to take what is dirty, tainted, and jaded and make it new and clean and pure? I know I've thrown out several big theological words and, and that is something that I do want you to understand because it's important, but here's what I'm really, really getting at. If you take nothing else away, here's what I want you to know. God is good. God is all knowing and yet God is still all loving. God in his infinite goodness can be trusted. God is in control. We're not. God has a good and perfect plan for your life. And you are given the reins to co-author your story with the one who created the universe. What are you going to do with that? Seriously, what about you? What about you? What are you doing with this invitation? Because that's really what it is. You know that, right? It's an invitation. It's not a demand. And if you have accepted this invitation, what are you doing with it? I mean, really, how does this play out in your life on a daily basis? 
one of my favorite authors, Bob Goff, puts it this way. There is only one invitation it would kill me to refuse, and yet I'm tempted to turn it down all the time. I get the invitation every morning when I wake up to actually live a life of complete engagement, a life of whimsy where love does. This invitation does not come in an envelope, but it is ushered in by a sunrise or the sound of a bird or the smell of coffee. It's the invitation to actually live, to fully participate in this amazing life for one more day. Nobody turns down an invitation to the White House, but I have seen plenty of people turn down an invitation to fully live. And turning down this invitation comes in lots of flavors. It looks like numbing yourself or distracting yourself or seeing something really beautiful as normal. It can also look like refusing to forgive or not being grateful or getting wrapped around the axle with fear and envy. I think every day God sends us an invitation to live and sometimes we forget to show up or we get head faked into thinking we haven't really been invited. But you see, we have been invited every day all over again. I, I encourage you, focus on who God is. Focus on God's goodness. Focus on God's greatness. Focus on God's glory. And ask God to help you see everything else through that filter. Because it's not about you. It's about who God is.